0: Welcome, everyone, to another podcast. I'm Brother Danny, and with us today we have uh, our special guest that we had last week, uh, Bishop Booker. He's here to continue on with the uh, questions that we had. We had one single question we had uh, last week that he didn't want to answer until today because he had a lot more to add to it. So, Bishop, would you like to say hi? Hello, everybody. God bless you, and we're glad you're listening. All right. So, let's get right to it. Um, The question that was put was, with unity being used a lot today, in your opinion, can different churches or uh, denominations be called brothers and sisters? Well, that is a very good question, especially, and it needs to be answered as correctly as possible for apostolic people. People that are people of the name, they do believe in one God, his name is Jesus. And the plan of salvation that he gave us, um, this is a, an important question that does have to be answered. One reason I wanted to spend more time on it on a separate uh, podcast was because of the the other one was plenty, uh, plenty lengthy in time, and uh, this, this question deserves taking some time with it. First of all, I, I do want to say that unity is extremely important. And um, it's a big word in God's vocabulary, I believe, because the word that goes with unity is the word peace. We know that God does not hold to the doctrine peace at any price. Peace is always going to be on God's terms, but his terms are the best terms. And and if we accept his plan, his way, his terms— Though our sins be as crimson, they'll be white as snow. Though they be like scarlet, they'll be white as wool. So when we meet with God and we have peace with him, it is on his terms, but it's the richest, deepest, and most importantly, it is the eternal peace that we will have with him. Um, In in Psalms 133, it's the classic verse about the power of unity. Verses, it's a short chapter, but it says, "Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity." I think it'd be good to stop at this first verse and keep in mind that this was written by Israelite for Israelites in its inception. And the unity that God always wanted the children of Israel to have was that they were unified in truth. They were unified in their love of God. They were unified in in doctrine that he gave them, but they were not to be unified with the nations round about them. In fact, he warned Israel, do not marry their sons and daughters, they will be a thorn in your side, they will eventually lead you to other gods, etc. And so making peace with them by way of terms of, of we're just one big happy family really brought about the downfall of Israel. They would not only accept their person, they would accept their gods, they would accept their values And in the process, they were automatically rejecting the one true God and his values. So the unity that they were to have was to be of those of like precious faith. He goes on down in verse 2 that that kind of unity, based on truth, is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments— and then he said, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So the value of unity is extremely important. But again, it needs to be on God's terms and unifying and rallying around God and his expressed truth now the apostle Paul, in the book of Ephesians, is writing to fellow Christians, and he said in chapter four verses one, beginning there, he said, "I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, and then it gets very interesting. We're, we're to walk worthy of this high calling, this vocation with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So that's verses one through three. Then he goes in verse four. There is one body not many bodies, there's one body of Christ, one spirit, even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So the unity of the spirit and the bonds of peace that he speaks to the church to have is immediately followed by the realization that must be kept in mind that it is within that one body, that one Spirit of God, this one hope of our calling, this one Lord, one faith, not multiplicity of faiths, multiplicity of types of baptism, but one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. And then in the same chapter— he goes down in verse 11, and he, he gave—Jesus Christ gave, obviously, to the church—he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. He gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why did he give us this fivefold ministry? Verse 13— till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when we unify, when we rally around the truth of Jesus Christ, this has a perfecting process of nature that works in us. He goes on in verse 14, all of this happens, verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. So we cannot, by way of the call of unity, throw that a wide open Situation to anything that comes down the road of life because there are winds of doctrine that will toss people to and fro just like they're children. There's cunning craftiness. There's deception. And so we have to be aware of all that and unify around truth. This is why in verse 15, he said, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So basically, he is comparing the body of Christ to an individual's human body. And we all know that the body works best when it's all functioning together for the same common purpose. And the right hand is working with the left hand and, and every part of our body is controlled by the, by the brain mixed with emotions, human spirit. When you receive the Holy ghost, the spirit of God, the entrance of God's word. And when it's functioning in, in a unified purpose, it's very powerful. But if a body becomes sick, maybe the legs won't cooperate. Maybe an arm is hurt and cannot function properly. Uh, nervous defects come, and 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 the body begins to lose control, and it's no longer quote unquote unified. It it, it can be a it can be a sad situation. Now I'm going to go back to an earlier statement about uh, not—the fact that we love unity or are to love unity amongst brethren, amongst the truth, does not mean that we are people that enjoy disunity with other people. Uh, It doesn't mean that we go around with a chip on our shoulder looking for a fight or anything else. I think that God's people are to be good people, kind people, friendly people, and be nice to other people. And that doesn't matter if they are basically self-declared sinners by lifestyle, speech, you name it. I mean, it's very obvious. They still need to know we're good people, we're kind people. We don't embrace their sin, but we care about them as individuals. Or if it's someone embracing denominational beliefs that are not in Uh, adherence to the written Word of God that are very plain, be it baptism always taking place in the New Testament church in the name of Jesus, the fact that whenever anybody received the Holy Ghost in the New Testament church, there was an obvious manifestation that took place. And on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, in Acts 10 and Acts 19, it's very plain that they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Well, these are, these are biblical truths that are just a few that are to be acted upon, embraced, and believed. And when other people, denominational people, do not embrace what the apostles and Jesus Christ taught, It doesn't mean that we are unfriendly or nasty or cantankerous at all, at all. But it does mean we can be friendly with people and we can have friends that are not of of this apostolic truth. But there's a big difference between being friendly and having a friend and terming that or calling that or embracing that as fellowship. Fellowship is a biblical term that has a very sweet, special uh, word and occurrence in Scripture. Just, Just as an example, in 2 Peter 1, verse 1, Simon Peter makes this statement. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like Precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So there is a fragrance of fellowship with people of like precious faith. That's where fellowship can spring from when we embrace the same precious basic tenets of apostolic truth that the apostles believed. Uh, The Apostle Jude, in verses 3 and 4 of his short epistle, makes this statement, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. There was a salvation that they embraced that was a commonality between all of them. They embraced the same thing. It was one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all. So they had a common salvation. He said, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. And then he gives a warning. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace— of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So the apostle is warning, don't depart from the commonality that we have embraced by way of what it takes to be saved and that that like precious faith is to be the basis of Fellowship. We can be a friendly people, a kind people, but fellowship is a special entity. As in Acts chapter 4, this is an interesting verse. Uh, The apostles Peter and John have been thrown into jail. Uh, They've been beaten. And it says in verse 23 of chapter 4, "...and being let go, they went to their own company." and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said unto them so thank god we have a company of one god jesus name apostolic holiness loving believers that constitute the family of god the company of god and that's the company that we go to for fellowship so we let the apostles answer this for us. The word of God, um, they said, "We give you everything that is profitable for salvation." So all of these things are, are comfortable, are profitable, rather, excuse me. And so when they went to their own company, that means they went to the company that believed the same things, that had a common salvation. Just I'm going to throw some verses in here, um, such as 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. And to all of our listeners, you're understanding now why I made this question separate, because we to do it justice, we have to take some time with this. So in 15 and 1, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. So they had to keep what he gave them. Then he says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. And this is what he received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So he's letting them know, I received the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is that which we embrace and act upon. We don't just believe that Jesus died and was buried and rose again. But we obey that gospel. Paul warned in Thessalonians about a God coming back to take fiery vengeance on them that obey not the gospel. Well, we obey the death and the burial and the resurrection, Jesus Christ. And the way that we obey that is we, are, we die as he died. We die in repentance. He was buried. We are buried with him in baptism. The Spirit of God raised him up from the dead. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead will also quicken our mortal bodies. We receive the Holy Ghost, and we come up out of that watery grave of baptism to walk in newness of life through the power of the Spirit. This is the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Jesus presses this. This is why in John 3, when Nicodemus came to him by night, and he said, we know that your teacher come from God. No man can do these miracles except God is with him. Well, Jesus, he he, he just kind of cut him off at the pass. He didn't even reply to that. He immediately answered and said him said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus, who's obviously taken aback, saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. So how is the message of Jesus to Nicodemus played out? What constitutes the faith that was once delivered unto the saints? Well, the day of Pentecost was the first day of the church they see these people speaking in other tongues, devout Jews that have gathered from around that Mediterranean world. And and, and they said, what meaneth this? So Simon Peter preaches unto them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In verse 37 of Acts 2, when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts, they were convicted, and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And this is what Simon Peter said. He had the keys to the kingdom. Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And they that gladly received his word that day were baptized, both men and women. And there were 3,000 people added to the church that day. So this is the faith that was once delivered to the saints. This is what we contend for. And this is the like precious faith in which we find our fellowship. And that is our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, this is, again, this is why we endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. We know there is one body, one Spirit. We're called into one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And just to add to this about the beauty but the power of this gospel and And our need to embrace it with all of our heart and soul and might is the same apostle in the second Corinthians chapter four, verse two. He states, we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. That's what Jude warned of men creeping in and, and, and taking erroneous liberties with the Word of God and and deceiving people. The Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthians, we've renounced those things. We don't handle the Word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God, and then verse 3, he said, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost." We need to love, embrace, live in, preach, teach, be thankful for this gospel. We don't want to hide it from a world, because if it's hid, it's hid the people that are lost. Then he goes on in verse 4, In whom the God of this world, speaking of Lucifer, has blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ Who is the image of God should shine unto them. Now I'm going to I'm going to drive this uh, point a little further, but I'm not taking it one half ounce further than what the apostles themselves took it. They're very clear on these matters. In first John ten, excuse me, in second John verses ten and eleven. This is what the apostle John said. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him godspeed, speed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. This is That's pretty heavy. Paul said in Galatians 1, verses 8 through 10, But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you, than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So, If the Apostle Paul or Jude or the Apostle John or the Apostle Peter was answering this question today, I think we see how they would answer it, and that is that the term fellowship and our real brothers and sisters is based on the embracing of this apostolic truth that runs from Genesis to Revelation, that there is one God, and as we know, his name is one. That name is Jesus. It's the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now, before I close, I'm going to go back to uh, my earlier statement yet again. It does not mean we cannot be friendly. It doesn't mean we're not nice. It doesn't mean that we... Uh, hole up somewhere, and we we don't say hi or bye. or that's You don't win people by being unfriendly at all. There's just a difference between friendliness and fellowship based on the truth of God's Word. In fact, a very amazing verse to me, uh, verses technically, is in Acts 19. We know that the city of Ephesus is in an absolute uproar, because uh, men have 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 went about, they have stirred up the city. It was famous for worshiping uh, the the uh, Greek goddess Diana, and they had a huge temple there. Well, now this apostle Paul has come to town, and he's winning many, 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 many people to the name of Jesus and to his this doctrine of repentance baptism infilling of the holy ghost and a holy life which was not wrapped around idolatry well they were losing business because they were selling less and less little idols silver and gold idols of diana and so they 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 went about they stirred up the city they ended up in 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 the Huge theater, and I've been there. It seats 36,000 people. It was filled with people, and they screaming for hours. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And in verse 29, it says, And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater so they have they have two of christian companions of paul and verse 30 when paul would have entered unto the people the disciples that's the church suffered him not the church people said paul don't go in that theater basically probably telling him they're going to tear you limb from limb stay out of there but then verse 31 And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. So it was not only his Christian brothers and sisters that are telling Paul, Paul, don't go in there. That's a mob, and God knows what they'll do to you. This term chief of Asia— This was a political term of people who were of renown and political prestige in the city of Ephesus and in that part of what is today Turkey. And so they were his friends. These were high political figures who were the Apostle Paul's friends, and they told him, "'Don't go into that theater.'" So they loved him or at least cared enough about him. They did not want him to be killed. Well, how did he become friends with those men? We don't know the details. But he that hath friends must show himself friendly. So he was friendly to him. He could converse with him. Paul was brilliant. He was highly educated. They probably had wonderful discussions. And I have no doubt that Paul witnessed to them of the doctrine that he held, the God that he served, and the power of the Holy Ghost, and the power of repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. And yet they still remained his friends. Whether they ever came into the tr- truth or the church or not, I have no idea. But it shows you that you can be friendly and have friends, but there's a, a outside of this apostolic truth, but that does not mean that that comes under what can be called the umbrella of fellowship. It cannot. And I think a beautiful verse as I close on this is in Psalms 119, verse 63. Now, I do not know, no one knows who wrote Psalms 119. There is strong Jewish thought that it was David that wrote it, and there's a host of reasons that they compile. There's other thought as to why they don't think he did. Uh, I hope it was David. But whoever it was, wrote it. It was under the inspiration of God. And he makes an amazing statement in verse 63 of Psalm 119. He said, I am a companion of all them that fear thee and of them that keep thy precepts. And this word companion... Uh, and I won't bore you with the details, but in, in the Hebrew, it has a connotation of friendship. But it's deeper than most of the words that are used for friendship. Because found into the word companion is a connotation of being knit together. So the writer here is stating, I am knit together. I'm a companion of them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. So I, I like to think that I have a lot of friends. Um, God's been very kind to me. But I'm very, very, very picky when it comes to to a, what we call a running buddy or companion. I want to be knit together with people dearly in love, with this one God, Jesus name, apostolic truth. That is the source of companionships. That is the source of fellowship. Beyond that, thank God for friends. Thank God for a lot of the good people I've met in my life. And I could tell you stories all day long of precious roles that that people outside of this faith have played in my life. And I appreciate that till the day I die and probably through eternity. But again, brothers, sisters, companionship, my own company, fellowship that has to be based upon and rallied around the precious truths of God's Word. God bless you all. I I hope this helps. And again, any other questions, feel free to submit them. And uh, Danny will be telling you how you can do that. And we'll we'll be having more and more podcasts. And I hope you enjoy them. God bless you. All right. Thank you, Bishop, for joining us on the podcast. Once again, if you want to get a hold of us, the email is podcast at inlandlighthouse.com. You can go ahead and leave a comment, questions, and we'll try to get to them as quickly as we can. And once again, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you on the next show.